Okay, we'll go ahead. All right, gentlemen, let's open up in prayer then. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, bringing all these men here together, Lord, for a, a good meal. Thank you for the, the hands that prepared the meal. I just pray that you would be with us as we uh, dig into your word, that you would just help get me out of the way and let you be able to speak through me, Lord. Uh, and I pray that it would be uh, edifying and maybe a little bit of a challenge, Lord, and that uh, you would just help us all to hear from you. pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so I want to talk today a little bit about, um, you know, where we are in this, in society with opinions and claims. Uh, you may notice if you've, you know, turned your phone on and looked at social media that we're kind of living in a day and an age where everybody has an opinion, and not only that, but like a soapbox and a means to communicate to everybody with just a, a few clicks or a, a few characters on a screen. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's been tough for me to kind of really discern and find out who's really explaining things the way they should be and who's bending or breaking the truth. So uh, I wasn't, when I was preparing this, I wasn't really thinking of this as an example, but this week I had a really kind of a good example of what happens when, when that happens. So I was in a, uh, I work in a job where I'm in charge of all the hiring, basically, uh, in addition to other duties. And one of the things that, you know, the problems that we have right now, and I'm sure everybody's probably dealing with this at one level or another, is that it's extremely difficult to find people to work in jobs. <laughs> and uh, so I've had this job posting open. We're actually trying to hire three people. So side note, if anybody's looking for work, <laughs> let me know. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to hire three people, and I can't even, I can't even hire one at this point. So schedule... Um, you know, you post the job, you look for quality candidates, you make a phone call, you follow up with them if they don't answer the phone. Uh, you finally get a hold of somebody and you start negotiating on when they can come in and talk to you and spend sometimes days trying to arrange for an interview and then the day comes and you're ready and, you know, you've, you've got things set up, you've got your questions, you're, you're prepared, you may have brought other people in to sit in on the interview and then that time comes you watch in your clock, 10 minutes pass, no one shows up. Uh, that happened two out of the three interviews I had scheduled this past week alone. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's slightly frustrating. Uh, so I guess that's, that's one example of, you know, just not, not being able to accept people at their word. And then these days, you may even hear, if you're going back to the online example, about fact checkers. Everybody knows fact checkers, right? That's what they do. They check, they check facts. No, they, they're, they're, I don't know. I don't think they're verified. But they're, they're self-verified, right? They say, hey, I'm a fact checker, so you can trust me. Uh, they claim to be setting the record straight. Uh, so in case, again, in case you weren't aware, they could actually be manipulating ideas and suggestions and not really giving you the true story. Uh, in fact, a recent study showed that 73.9% of statistics are completely made up. <laughs> or maybe it was 79.3, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Uh, so how do we navigate through all this? Well, other than spiritual discernment, uh, which there are cases of that in the Bible, and we'll get into that a little bit, there really isn't an easy answer for us. We can't affect other people. But what we have is a calling from God 
to speak the truth in love. And being truthful was so important that God actually in, you know, enshrined it in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Exodus 28.16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's, I mean, that's pretty straightforward as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but then you have the other cases where people swear that they're telling you the truth. Or they use oaths to pledge what they say is the truth. Uh, but that's good, right? You know, they, they, they swear, I swear to God. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to swear. but uh, It was under instructions not to swear, but here I am swearing. You know, what, what they say or do is the truth. So by swearing it, that makes it absolutely true, right? Totally trust, trust them then? No? So if you would, turn with me to Matthew 5. Get into God's word, and I'll stop talking a little bit. We're going to be in uh, verse 33. Yeah. So verse 33 says, and this is Jesus talking, and this is the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So the big question is, why does Jesus zero in on taking oaths as being a big issue? Uh, And in order to kind of understand this a little bit more in in the direct application to the people that he's talking to, you kind of have to go back and look at what was considered common practice and rather than me explain it to you, I, I found a 17th century theologian named Albert Barnes, who I think summed it up rather nicely. Uh, I, this is a quote. It appears, however, from this passage, as well as from the ancient writings of the Jewish rabbis, that while the Jews claimed that they adhered to the law, they had introduced a number of oaths in common conversation, an oath which by, they by no means considered to be binding. For example, they would swear by the temple, they would swear by their head, by heaven, by the earth. So long as they kept from swearing by the name Yahweh, and so long as they observed the oaths publicly taken, they seemed to consider all others as allowable and allowedly broken. This is the abuse which Christ wished to correct. It was the practice of swearing in common conversation, and especially swearing by created things. So looking back on it, the, con- the concern and what Jesus rightly brought up was, was the intent to deceive or to trick, not, not the actual, not the swearing of the oath-taking in particular, but the fact that it was actually used to manipulate other people uh, into believing them with no intention at all of being truthful. Um, on the flip side, if you look at oaths in the Old Testament, they were actually prescribed and required in certain circumstances. Uh, you can jump if you want. I'm going to move back to Exodus. It's Exodus 22, uh, verse 11, which says, if, if a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, or is driven away, no one's seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. So, again, an oath basically saying, I'm swearing by the Lord, 
And again, that's an oath by the Lord, not by, some, not by something else. Uh, Numbers 5 in verse 19 discusses priests putting people under an oath to determine truthfulness. And that, was, that one specifically was passing judgment on a dispute between like a husband and a wife. I won't go into the details. Uh, and then God uses one in Deuteronomy 29, beginning in verse 12. Moses, speaking on behalf of the Lord, uh, reminds the Israelites, quote, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. So interestingly enough, in this usage, the the oath is intertwined with the covenant. And the covenant, of course, which hopefully we're all familiar with, is that promise that God made with Israel that they would be his chosen people. So, I mean, that's really like the ultimate oath, you know, and sort of the model that we should be using to attaining to, you know, that, that unbreakable covenant that God made with Israel. And, you know, you can see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you know, the lengths that God went to, you know, the, how close he came, and, and, and even through all this, the screw-ups and the problems and the issues that the Israelites have, he never, ever broke that covenant. And that continues on to this day. Uh, so that's the example that we have when we should be swearing an oath to God. Uh, and you'll find in Matthew, Jesus actually didn't refuse to take an oath in a, code of law, in a court of law. In Matthew 26, uh, verses 63 and 64, it says, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So, oath-taking in and of itself is not necessarily incorrect in certain circumstances. Uh, in fact, in Matthew, back in Matthew 5, if you're still there, in verse 17, uh, just before he was about to warn us about oath-swearing in general, Jesus says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Christ didn't come to end or repeal any of those, any of those laws in the Old Testament, in the old law. Um, he, was, he was fulfilling them. He was completing that and giving us the perfect model. Uh, in fact, in, in his letters, Paul actually uses, uh, not an oath, but he, he would call upon God to witness his, his sincerity when he's dealing with you know, new believers and new churches set up. Uh, and that's really the same as an oath. It's, it's calling on God to, to, to say, I am saying that God is my witness, what I'm saying is true. Uh, so what was it that Jesus was condemning an oath-taking? Back to what... Uh, that uh, Bible commentator said it was it was merely the habit of swearing in private conversation, uh, swearing you know every occasion uh, and by everything. It wasn't really wasn't what you were taking at face value. It was it was intentionally using that means to manipulate other people. Uh, as a kid, uh, if you ever played like the 
fingers crossed game where you would lie to somebody <laughs> to their face, and then when, you, when they get called on it, you'd be like, oh, I have my fingers crossed. It's like, okay, come on. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm not the only one that did that <laughs> as a kid. Uh, Proverbs 6 uh, warns against six things that God hates, and the last one is a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. So the fingers crossed, I think, is a really good example of that. Uh, if you go back to Zechariah 8, verses 16 and 17, uh, it says, These are these things, the things you should do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these things are things that I hate, says the Lord. So, it's pretty strong words. And uh, I found it very interesting that it was, it was not, not only do not speak a false oath, but it was do not love a false oath, which is, you know, that love, of, again, of being willing to manipulate and, and deceive people. Uh, James repeats Jesus' command in, in James 5, verse 12. And I, I could talk about the book of James all day long. Uh, but above all, my brethren, it says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So by James' account, that's a pretty serious matter, um, this oath-taking. It's that the use of above all tells me that he's really warning us that we should be extremely careful about this point. Uh, it's not something that we should be taking lightly. Uh, Ultimately, we are to follow God's law, not just in the letter, but also in the spirit, which is obviously much more in-depth and a a much more encompassing uh, charge. The standard that's been set for us should always be true. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then Jesus puts it in even more strongly form uh, in an admonition back in, in Matthew 12. Uh, it says, But I say to you that for every idle word may, men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, because God is with us, every single word that we speak is spoken in God's presence. Uh, and because of that alone, if nothing else, what we say should be true because that's really the equivalent of making an oath before God with him being in our presence. Everything that we say is said before God. Uh, so oaths are unnecessary, and not only that, um, there, you know, there's potential for us to be judged based on every word that we say regardless of whether it's under oath or not. As God's people, we're supposed to represent him in honesty and obedience and reflect him in our conduct in every way. Uh, in some of the growth groups, and I'm not sure how many of you are participating in growth groups, but the last, it seems like the last two or three sessions we've done, there's, there's always, it always seems to come back to how we reflect God in our lives, how we represent him, how we're supposed to stand out and be light or be salt. And... It's hard for us to stand out if we are acting like everybody else. And, you know, we just, we don't need God's name and an oath to back up our word. We should stand out enough that our yes and our no, or our no should be enough according to what we believe to be true, uh, whether it's in a legal matter 
or an everyday conversation with somebody. Uh, in John 8:44, Jesus told his Jewish followers, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Pardon me for a moment. So what, I think what Jesus was saying was that anything we try to add to whatever is the, you know, the, 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 the unvarnished truth is really coming from Satan, and it's our, it's our willingness to, or our desire to be deceitful or deceptive in order to you know, advance personal gains, in order to be selfish. Um, Jesus wasn't condemning those people it was just a warning that as, as sinners and, and perfectly fleshly humans with this stuff on us that we can't get rid of until we have perfect bodies in heaven and are, and are removed from it, we have to be aware that our nature defaults to lies and deceit. And then only by overcoming that, only by, by walking in his word and by seeking him continually, uh, do we ever, ever have any hope of having our word, our yes be our yes, and our no be our no. Uh, we have to be willing to, to sacrifice that fleshly part, the, the thing that, that drives us, that gives us our, you know, those desires. And in order to do that, God has to do that work in our lives. So we can't do it on our own. But if we ask him and we're willing to follow and listen to what he says, then we can have freedom to do that. Uh, if you want, turn with me to Acts 5. Kind of the cautionary tale. We're going to be right at verse 1. All right, starting in verse 1. But a certain man, man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. So this is obviously the kind of the the, the worst kind of the worst case scenario when you uh, when you're lying to not only other people but to the Holy Spirit. And I I find it, it interesting that in this case Peter was given discernment by the Holy Spirit. 
They didn't come in, make any sort of grand like gestures or say, hey, look what I brought in. It's like as soon as Peter saw it, the Holy Spirit convicted him and he knew that what they were doing was deceitful. And, you know, looking at, you know, how is that different than what we do in our daily walk? I, I, think, I think in the early church, it was, it was probably um, a lot of opportunities for, um, for people to come in and deceive and, you know, d- drive, divide up the early church. In this case, if you, if you look in, in chapter 4, they're talking about just before this, you know, everybody's basically in the early churches getting together, living in a sense, communally, they're, they're selling off all their possessions. They're basically, they're using what they have collectively to minister to every believer. And I think to a, a certain extent, that is a very good model, and we should be following it. Obviously, we live in a different culture. They were living under complete oppression, and they needed, you know, they needed each other um, to protect each other. Um, but at the same time, you know, is that any different than, than what I do when I don't let my, my yes be yes and my no be no? Am I deceiving the, the Holy Spirit? Am I, trying to, am I trying to convince man and to an extent, you know, override the convictions of the Holy Spirit? Because as a, as a saved believer, I, I know that the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling in me. And if I'm willing to shout over the Holy Spirit to, to be deceptive, knowing that what I'm doing is wrong. Am I, am I doing the same thing? Am I guilty of doing the same thing? And I guess I am. So a Christian's word ultimately should be their bond. Uh, at first, swearing an oath may appear to be a minor matter, but it, it touches on some pretty serious spiritual issues, uh, our, which is how our reflection of God's integrity, honesty, and judgment should be, should be on display in our lives. Uh, Jesus thought enough of this to, to make it a part of his sermon on, on the mount. And I think we would do well to remember that making any sort of statement, or whether it's, a, whether it's a, just a regular everyday conversation or whether it's a solemn promise, uh, anything that we do like that should be binding. And if we make an oath before God, he absolutely expects that we will carry that out. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll wrap up. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for each and every one of the men, Lord, that was willing to come here this morning and, and listen. I pray that you would just uh, bless the rest of our day, Lord. Uh, bless our families that are home or, or away. You would uh, just, uh, just speak to every one of us this weekend, Lord, and um, that we would uh, not forsake assembling again soon, Lord. Just pray that you would just be with us as we pack up and leave. Thank you, Lord. Amen.